in the world of freedom. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Ich bin ein Berliner. This is Radio Goethe Magazine with Arndt Peltner. News and information from the heart of Europe. Hello and welcome to Radio Goethe Magazine. I'm Arndt Peltner. In today's show I have a feature about death row, so stay tuned. But first, the news. Radio Goethe Magazine. The news with Nina Paula. Berlin. Security officials in Germany are concerned that terrorists may be targeting the country ahead of general elections in September. A top crime fighter says recent threat videos show parallels to the situation in Spain before the March 2004 attacks there. The Islamists apparently want to influence Germany's election year 2009, a senior deputy in the Interior Ministry said. Germany has moved well up the list of terrorist target countries. Berlin. Germany's national railway, Deutsche Bahn, has admitted to a second case of large-scale stuff surveillance. A spokesman of the Deutsche Bahn confirmed media reports that in 2005 the company had examined personal data from more than 170,000 employees, around three-quarters of its total workforce, for signs of corruption. Now there are a lot of voices demanding that Bahnchef Hartmut Medon should apologize and retire. Stuttgart. One day before a major toy manufacturer's trade fair opens in Nuremberg, Germany's toy train maker Märklin has announced its bankruptcy. The company in Göppingen in Baden-Württemberg became the latest victim of banks' hesitancy about lending money amidst the global economic crisis. Märklin said it was left with no other option after failing to obtain a 50 million euro credit line. Nonetheless, the firm, which has been in existence for 150 years, hopes it can get back on track. Berlin. The impact of the global economic turmoil on ordinary people is a major theme of the Berlinale this year. The festival's opener is an action thriller about the dark and often crooked world of global banking from German director Tom Tikwer. Berlinale director Dieter Koslik says reality has really caught up with fiction this year. Of course, the 10-day festival provides a touch of glamour to the German capital, rolling out the red carpet for world stars like Michel Pfeiffer, Demi Moore, Steve Martin and Keanu Reeves. Frankfurt For anyone who wondered what happens to Christmas trees that don't get sold in Germany, here's the answer. Elephants eat them. It became a tradition at many zoos to supplement the diet of their elephants with pine trees. So elephants in zoos across Germany have spent January devouring Christmas trees and now supplies are drying up. The Opel Zoo near Frankfurt, for example, received 300 trees from traders this year for its three fully grown African elephants. The zoo director explained that they like to eat wood. It's important for their digestion because it gives them roughage, especially in winter when there aren't many leaves on the trees. For 12 years I have been in contact with an inmate on death row in St. Quentin. Through him I met other inmates. At one point I wanted to produce a feature about prisoners on death row who were writing. To deal with their crime, 
their past, their situation, their dreams and their hopes. You will hear their voices, phone interviews I did with them. One of them, Stanley Tookie Williams, was executed in December 2005. You will also hear a text by Kurt Tucholsky, a German writer who in the late 1920s wrote an article about the death penalty. Tucholsky was a critical voice of his time, a true believer in democracy and an anti-fascist. As soon as they've taken him away, the guard opens the window. It always smells bad in prison cells, but the air in this cell is especially foul. The sour air, the sweatiness of last fear sticks to the walls and final prayers, wishes, vague images escape through the little barred window. While outside the passing bell tolls. The door is open. You can look inside from the passage. Stanley Tookie Williams. On death row since Stanley Tookie Williams is a death row prisoner at San Quentin State Prison. He's also the co-founder of the Crips Youth Gang, and he is the co-author of nine violence prevention and gang prevention books for kids, and he's been nominated twice for a Nobel Peace Prize and once for a Nobel Prize in Literature. There isn't much inside. The chair, the bed, it still shows the outline of a human being who won't be back. The table at which they let him write a last letter. The water jug from which he drank. Why did he still bother? The pail into which he emptied his last terror. Now he's gone. The room is completely still. Although door and window are open, it doesn't get better. Something sticks to the walls and the air seems clotted. Kurt Michaels, on death row, since 1990. Well, call it my concrete condo rather than a cell. So basically you look at it as your home instead of a, a prison cell. You know, over the years you basically learn not to look at the bars or you look through them. You don't see them when you're looking outside your cell. Adolescent, a youngster, I really wasn't able to deal well with you know, emotional pain. You know, pain from the heart is a whole different deal from physical pain. You know, and I bear physical pain a whole lot easier than I did emotional. So I started expressing myself through writing at that time. And it 
periodically uh, some things would need to be released or expressed, and I'm not real good verbally. So a lot of what I couldn't say or express verbally, I put into writing. I correspond with a lot of people around the world, and in this country, my loved ones, family members, and friends. But the ones that I correspond around the world, in Germany, in Japan, in Australia, is they share things, like I said, with my own family members, their daily life, or their, their world, which is what I consider it, it's their world because in here is a whole nother world. And I'll pick up their letters, and like when the mail car shows up here and they deliver mail, it'll have letters from Austria or different countries, and I'll put them in order of, you know, different areas where I want to travel to at that time. And sometimes I'll tell my neighbors, you know, it's mail time, don't call me. Leave me alone, because I'm not going to want to be here right now. And I'll pick up their letters and open each one, one by one, and a lot of times the photos, or in their letters they're describing various things of their life so that I can share in it. And when I respond to these letters, you know, I respond to it as, as each part of the letter I read, I respond to that part. I am not here. This is my escape as mentally as all we have. feels so tight in here. He still pretended to be a human being. He breathed as if it still mattered. He cried. He retreated into himself. In this moment, he could not have fathered a child. All his glands shrank in an extremity of tension, defensively cramped, as if they had been injected with alum. His pores exuded bitter fear. Shaim Ben Shalom, on death row since 1986. Um, for me, 
evidence. And um, then um, somebody sent me a, a thing for a Swiss riding contest, and, and I entered that, and it just kind of got going from there. This is something that's pretty much explosive to in here. Uh, outside, I had other things to do. And I didn't really, you know, exercise muscles, so to speak. There's not a lot of room in here. I, I sit at, at uh, uh, my steel bunk. I actually sleep on the floor and use my, my steel bunk as a desk um, to try and make the most efficient use of the space. at night, um, especially if, if I'm trying to do something that, that you know, uh, rhymes, um, because that's difficult, and um, so I'll wait till things quiet down around midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and then I'll put down and write, because I don't have to deal with as much distraction, There's, the A system isn't going on, people aren't yelling and screaming at each other, people aren't banging on the walls because of uh, sporting events, you know, all of that. And, uh, you know, I have the opportunity to kind of, uh, of be more by myself in, in a mental sense because I don't have all of those mental intrusions coming in. And um, I sit down with a paper and a pencil and a big eraser. Ancient lore on 
deeper winged my note I send from here to there, ere to wend. My words here end without delay, this my note I send to say, a very happy birthday. guard in St. Quentin State Prison. Once you've worked there long enough, you can actually hear the conversations going on. Although there are hundreds at a time, you start being able to hear them going back and forth. And I mean, I, I was there for many reasons, and, and I found the, uh, some of the sounds to be pure music, pure poetry. You know, uh, they, they, throw, um, they throw sound, and it's, it's almost like a, a concert hall. And I, I remember this one conversation, a guy on the bottom saying, hey, blue, and the blue just went all the way up to the fifth tier. Yeah, what's up? And then down there's just, everything went eight down. And you, the, all these sounds are just incredible. But the, the, the structure itself is such, it's called inside construction. And there's the outside wall, and then the, the, uh, the gun rail is on that wall. And then there's a sheer drop to the floor. And then inside that, facing the gun rail, is a set of five tiers, five levels of cells. I mean, I, I look at it from an artistic point of view, so it's, you know, I'm, I'm very flowery about it. It's, it's you know, a place, it was the worst unit I had ever worked, only it was the most fascinating because of, because of those sounds. I've seen, I, I saw a guy who wasn't allowed art materials, even in the 80s, make a brush out of his hair and 
got state-issued tobacco. Of course, they're not even allowed to smoke now, but they were actually issued tobacco then. And he mixed it with water, used his hair as a brush, and drew absolutely gorgeous paintings all over his cell. And uh, they really were amazing. And every couple weeks, they'd send him out to the yard and paint over his stuff, which was okay for him, because then he, he could do some more. Where there's a will, there's a way. You know, if you want to do art... And if, some, you know, if a prisoner says, I want to do art, but they won't let me, you know, well, too bad. You can, art, art has, you can do songs like, you know, if you really want to make music, you can make music. And it's the same thing with art. Yes, he did deserve it, didn't he? He mutilated my child, my sweet blonde baby. It looked just like her, had a round nose. And we wanted a boy so much. And then it was a boy. And that pig attacked him in the park. The little one lost his way in the bushes. I can't even say what that monster or that damn dog. Is my child alive? Is his mother's pain gone? She'll have another child, but not that one. Maybe even a boy, but not that boy. Bending over the new cradle, she will cry. But what has happened? Glenn Cornwell, on death row, since 1995. All my good friends are still amazing, as usual, and life goes on. Football season started, and my favorite team signed this new place kicker. I can't, I can't help but smile, because when they mention his name, Here, uh, a lot of those were 
were, uh, uh, well, how to put it, uh, in the form of questions, you know what I mean? Of questions of why and how and, and uh, expressing that, uh, things that I, that I can't express to the people that I want to express it to, you know what I mean? Where my contact is limited uh, to humanity at large, you know? Uh, it's a way that that I can uh, express my feelings that'll that that will uh, last beyond the time that I'm here. You know what I mean? Um, say, you know, after I have uh, executed and gone, um, my family may go through my stuff and uh, or find one of my poems published somewhere. You know, uh, or people will read it, uh, and you know, and say, well. You know, I can see where that, where, 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 what it meant by that. You know what I mean? Or people can uh, can read it who who couldn't imagine the situation I'm in. You know, and uh, read, say, like, long and the short of it, and see that that you know um, that people here on the row aren't just hardened, uh, no feelings uh, monsters. You know what I mean? Because I'm a family man. I have six kids. Um, you know, I was, when I was uh, out there on the streets, I was the regional manager for Terminix International. I was, a, you know, in a, a white-collar uh, type thing, you know? You know, most people think of somebody up here on death row as uh, lifetime criminals or something, you know? And, it, and it's not. It's just something that, that happened. The long and the short of it. Five short steps, then turn and walk back, around and around on an invisible track. I start at the toilet and I end at the door. Then I turn around and I take five more. I walk for miles all through the weeks, months and years for the answer I seek to the question of why I once felt this rage that started the actions that led to this cage. I traveled the distance and I asked all the whys sought all the truth, discarded the lies. And the answer I found to the question at hand is the fact that I am but just a man. In here, you have to... Um, can't wear your heart on your sleeve. You know what I mean, you have to um, you have to uh, be hardened, somewhat um, have a shield up, you know, all the time for your emotions and and uh, for your well, basically for your own protection, your survival. I mean, I go to a yard. When I go out to the yard, I'm on a yard with um, there's like 150 people assigned to my yard, and usually about. About 65 out there on a on a regular day, right? And every one of these guys is here for killing somebody, for committing a violent act against another person, right? And so I can't be just the person I was on the streets. I have to be, I don't know how to put it, I have to be stronger, uh, more self-reliant, um, more aggressive, to, uh, to to the other male members of the uh, people around me, you know what I mean? Here is different. You have to watch out for your life here. 
every day. And, you know, and people, when you go, you know, people don't realize that. And, and sometimes even people in here don't realize that. When you go to that yard, you might not come back. You know what I mean? You get out there and you're laughing and joking. You're playing pinochle with everybody around you. Um, you know, and uh, talking to these different guys. But at any moment, at any moment there, something could happen and you could end up gone, right? So... So your whole persona is is always on guard. That's how I'd put it. You're always on guard for something to happen. Where on the streets you wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be that way unless you were, you know, schizophrenic, paranoid, or something. You know, you know, yeah. I would say that that you know you're always ready for um, how do they put it, fight or flight. They haven't even avenged my wrong. What good does it do to satisfy my lowest instincts and to satisfy them senselessly? Perhaps even by offering me a front seat to watch his head roll in the sack. I don't want to watch. Something unalterable happened through him. A part of myself is gone. And nothing has been accomplished except another murder with all the terrors of the first. To make us secure? Yes. To make his parents secure so that no other little boy will be found like... Oh, the dog. No. God's failed handiwork. Barbara Bagnell, friend of Stanley Tookie Williams. In the late 1980s, he was sent to solitary confinement, where he stayed in solitary confinement for six and a half years. During that time, it was one of those moments where you either progress or perish. You know, you either move forward or you don't. And he took that time to really take a hard look at himself. And, and in looking at himself, he decided he did not like what he saw. And he decided that he needed to change. But what he also says is that he did not experience an epiphany. There was not this one moment of instant clarity and where he changed overnight from uh, a leader of a notorious street gang to a choir boy, that that did not happen. He said that he did change and he did redeem himself, but he did it by changing sort of an inch at a time, a day at a time over the course of many years. And in fact, what he says is um, that he still is sort of working on his redemption, that it, it is not, uh, it's not like I'm redeemed and I'm done with it. <laughs> you know, he's still working on it. The thing is, is that uh, I realize that despite uh, where I am and who I am, that children, in a sense, can empathize, or, and I can empathize with them because uh, uh, we all were children at one time, and I understand the trials and tribulations that they themselves are experiencing. Therefore, I felt you know, it was my duty, it was my devoir to uh, reach out to them and try to convince them that following in my path or any one of my ilk, uh, that uh, it's something that they don't want to do, that they shouldn't want to do, and that they should strive for an education as opposed to, you know, involving themselves in gangs or gangsterism or criminality of any kind. The cell is empty now. 
The sweated smell of death is almost gone. The jug that he touched with his lips is empty. The bed is made and the pail clean. The cell waits for the next one. That was today's Radio Goethe magazine. Please find us online at radiogoethe.org where you can subscribe to our free podcast. I'm Arndt Speltner.